I am among you as one who serves. What's up this morning? Good to see you today. If today is your first time at First Charlotte, we are glad that you are here. Glad to just get the opportunity to worship with you and, and hopefully get to meet you. We have a gift for you. If today's your first time at Charlotte, uh, First Charlotte, when we dismiss in a minute, um, outside under our orange tent, we would love for you to stop by there and pick up that gift. We would love to do Chick-fil-A for, for you this week uh, for lunch one day and would love to meet you. Uh, It is good to see you. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad you're here with us today. And uh, we got one rule, one rule. There are no perfect people allowed uh, in this room. And so if you are perfect, you may make your exit right now. And uh, if you are not perfect, you may remain seated uh, this morning. It is good to see you. Take your Bibles and turn them to the book of Luke. I I guess it was probably around the time that that we moved to Charlotte uh, roughly three years ago. Um, and this, is a, this, this city's a maze. I mean, there, there are roads and streets, and I'm not really, it's been a while since I've lived in a city like that where there are roads everywhere. Uh, they change names and all that kind of stuff while you're on the same road. Uh, and getting around was really difficult. So I was very, very dependent upon uh, uh, Apple Maps. And so every morning before I left, I just simply come to church uh, come to work or to go anywhere else. I always had to put my destination in and really became dependent upon uh, the maps to tell me where I was going. But somewhere along that, I'm not really sure when they started doing this because it, I know it wasn't the case before that. Uh, and now it's, it's, it's way more advanced than it was then. But I'll never forget the first time I was driving, following the route, and it said, accident ahead, rerouting. And for a minute, I was scared to death. Where are you taking me? And so I trusted it. I followed it and saved me time. I didn't ever see the accident. Because if you've ever been uh, on some of these roads and there's an accident, I mean, that is, that is bad. That is just, it takes forever here. Um, you know, when you're on a two-lane road and there's an accident, you're just stuck and you're late and so forth. And we don't like to be late. It was very inconvenient. So I've started doing that every single time. Even, even on a normal Monday morning, uh, coming to church, I, I put in the destination I'm going, and I just let it, I mean, I go, and if it reroutes me, I'll take that reroute. At least let me know that ahead of me is a problem, and I want to avoid that problem, and I can be taken around that problem. And I've learned, I wish there was an app for that, for everything. Ahead of you, is a problem. That person is a problem. This season is going to be a problem. This conversation is going to be a problem. I wish there was some sort of app that would let us know when there are problems and when there are problem people and when there are problem issues so that we would have the choice and the freedom uh, to, to choose whether we want that problem or we don't want that problem. The truth of the matter is for most of us, Really, for all of us, there's a sense in all of us that we don't like problems. Problems are really inconvenient. They interrupt the flow of things, the flow of life. And usually, problems are costly. They cost us time. They cost us energy. They cost us stress. They cost us money. They cost us a great deal of things when we encounter problems and specifically people with their problems. 
We can't avoid problems. Problems are all around. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that has been disrupted by humanity and the fall of humanity and sin. And so all around us, there is the, the recipe for problems, we, the brokenness of this world. And inside of this brokenness of this world, we're all sinful people, and we all have these sinful natures. And so our brokenness adds to the brokenness of this world, and it just creates a, an environment with all sorts of problems. You can't avoid problems. Everybody has a problem. Everybody is a problem. Everybody deals with problems. Problems come to us. Problems find us. Sometimes we find our problems and sometimes problems come to us in the form of people. Problems are everywhere. And none of us really, really want problems in our lives. But Jesus uniquely was in the business of problems. When you think of the very fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth, he came because of a problem. Had there not been a problem, Jesus would not have come. Had there not been a problem, Jesus would not have been needed. But because there was a problem with this world and because there was a problem with you and I, Jesus came. And throughout his life and throughout his ministry, his business of solving the world's problem and humanity's problem and your problem and my problem was reflected in his day-to-day -day ministry with people. As he dealt and welcomed problems. Jesus was in the problem business. And if we want to do his business... We have to be willing to be in the problem business too. I want to take you to Luke chapter 4, and I want us to look at several different stories right off out of the gate. So Jesus, last week we looked at Jesus in Nazareth, how he kind of launched his ministry. Uh, he, ca he had his breakthrough come out, um, you know, grand opening of his ministry. And immediately he shows us what that ministry is going to be lo looking, looking like through the stories that come up immediately. The problems that come before him, right at the very get-go, as Jesus begins his ministry, Jesus is brought problems. And Jesus deals with those problems and handles those problems and solves those problems. And it becomes what he was known for. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to just look at the snapshot of some of these problems that Jesus deal with. And I really want us to see who he is. Who our leader as followers of Christ, this is the one that we're following. This is what he looks like. And this is how he deals and why he deals with problems. And I'm hoping that as we look at this, it'll challenge us to walk in his footsteps and be in the business of people's problems. What I want to do is I want to read uh, the stories and, and then I want to talk about them just together this morning a little bit. So draw your attention to Luke chapter 4, verse 31. I'm going to have you remain seated. We do stand in honor of God's Word as we read uh, because the Bible is really uh, the Word that we need. Um, but we'll wait to the very last story because we're going to, it's quite a bit of reading. But just follow along with me. Luke chapter 4, verse 31, and it tells us this. And he went down to Capernaum, uh, a city of Galilee, and he was uh, teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his, at his teaching, for he, his word possessed authority. 
And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Make note, by the way, that it was a demon that was the first to recognize Jesus for who he really was. You see, evil realizes when Jesus is around. Evil is very aware of the presence of Jesus. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the demon, when he had thrown uh, him down on the, in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out of him. And the reports about him went out that into every place in the surrounding regions. Verse 38, right after that, and he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and, laid, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, I want you to fast forward over to chapter 5, verse 12. And if you would, stand in honor of God's word. And while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. The great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Lord, I pray you speak to us this morning. Help us to hear what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. From the very beginning, as Jesus began the business of his ministry, his business was a problem-solving business. He was not afraid to step into the problems of people. And we see over and over this small snapshot, but this small snapshot is a picture of what happened over and over, the daily life of Jesus, the daily ministry of Jesus. The, the word of who he was and what he was doing was growing and crowds were gathering and everywhere Jesus went, every town where Jesus went, this was what would happen. People would bring their problems to Jesus. They would bring their sicknesses, their illnesses, their demon possession, and Jesus dealt with it. And I think the big picture of why Jesus dealt with these problems is because it's a metaphor, it's a picture of the ultimate problem he came to deal with. All of us have problems. And all of those problems that we have in our life are ultimately in some way, shape, or form a hint of the greatest problem that we have. And that greatest problem Jesus came to fix with the cross and his blood, the problem of our sin, 
and separation from God. And he came to fix that problem with his life. And I think he shows us the nature of that through his ministry daily. There's a couple of things, there are a few things I want to draw your attention to this morning as followers of Christ. First of all, I want you to notice his authority. So every gospel writer, as they talk about the teaching of Jesus, make note that this was said of him. They all comment that, that when Jesus would teach, this similar word was said about him, about his authority. So we see it here in verse 32. He's teaching them on the Sabbath. So it's Saturday, it's church day. He goes to church, and that was kind of what he would do. He would come to a town, he would go to a church. The disciples followed the same ministry later. And he would teach in the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And over and over again, every gospel writer records this. In verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And then we see it again here in verse 36. And they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What was noticeable about Jesus in his ministry early on was the authority of his word. He spoke as one with authority. Now, why is that significant? And why would that, what was the difference? Because these people had, many of them probably been to synagogue so many times. And what was the difference between what he taught and what they heard on a regular basis? Because Jesus was a teacher of the Old Testament. He, he likely taught from the Old Testament as he would go into these places. What was the difference? Well, the difference is this. Week after week, these people had heard teaching in the synagogue. But the teachers in the synagogue all had to appeal to another authority to make their claim. What do, you, what do you mean? I mean what I have to do every single Sunday with you. Like, we come in here and, like, I, I, I have no authority. None. At all. I'm just Robert Welch. I'm a nobody. My word doesn't carry much weight. So I have to appeal to this word. And so week after week, I'm saying the Bible says, the scripture teaches, God says. The power and authority of, of the message of the rabbis and the power and authority ultimately of, of, of pastors and preachers and teachers today comes from another source. It comes from a greater authority. But Jesus did not have to appeal to another authority to speak. In fact, Matthew records it very specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. He would say, you have heard that it was said. You heard that the Old Testament said this. But then Jesus would say, but I say to you. You see, Jesus would teach in the first person. He wouldn't speak of so-and-so said, or this rabbi said a hundred years ago, or this Old Testament proverb says, or Isaiah said, or, or, or Moses said. Jesus would say, I say to you. His word had authority. He didn't have to appeal to another expert. He gave the answer. Now, we are very dependent in our lives of experts and authorities. Every sphere the expert within that sphere bears authority. 
So when your car breaks down, you go to an expert, you go to a mechanic who is the authority on fixing your car. You listen to their advice, you listen to their counsel, and if you don't like it, then you try to seek a higher authority, someone that knows it better. Your body, not feeling well, something's not going right. You go to the expert on your body, a doctor, who speaks with authority because he's an expert in the field of the human body. We have a legal matter, a legal issue. Go to the experts in legal matters. We, we seek attorneys and we, we, we hire attorneys and we consult with them and we let them guide us through the process because they have authority because they're the experts in that field. And it goes that way in, in every single field. Jesus is the expert on life. He's the expert because he's the authority on life. He created it. He wrote it. He sustains it. He cares for it every day. He holds it all together. He is the expert on life. He is the authority on life. When Jesus speaks about life matters and life issues and biblical things and life truths and eternity and humanity and all the things with that, he speaks as one who knows because he does know every single thing about it. Which is why we bring our problems to him. Because he's the expert. Jesus is the one, the main authority to bring your problems to. Where have we gotten off and where have we gotten this idea that to approach Jesus, you have to have your stuff together. That you have to have yourself all cleaned up, all prepped up, all ready to go. That you got to present yourself well to him. He don't want your mess. He doesn't want your problems, your issues. That if you want Jesus, you better clean yourself up and get yourself right. And on the other side, you know, we, we think of our problems. Oh, we don't, we don't, we don't want to bother him with our problems. We feel guilt. We feel shame. We feel mess and we feel issues. We see other people with issues that are, seem to be bigger issues. I, I don't want to, I want to bring that to Jesus. Like we have guilt over bringing our problems to Jesus. What Jesus are we thinking of? What Jesus have we invented that if you want his help, you gotta, you gotta woo him, you gotta impress him, that you gotta clean it up. That's not the Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus of the New Testament was the expert, was the authority, and he welcomed those that needed the expert and the authority.
want you to understand something. If there's a problem in your life, no matter how small or matter how big, Jesus ought to be the first you take it to. I want, to, I want us to understand something very, very carefully, church. As a group of people who are Jesus people, we ought not to be people that you have to clean up your act to be around, that you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way. We ought to be people who know the expert and who welcome the problems of this world and the problems of people and the messes of people inside our doors. Come and come as you are with your mess, with your problems, with your issues. Come in because we know the one who you need to know. Spoke with authority. What we see in these stories is that this is who he was. It wasn't a show. Jesus messing with messes was who he was, and it wasn't just a show and display. I mean, we see it in some really unique ways. I mean, he's in a situation here in, 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 in uh, Capernaum where he's teaching, and he is immediately interrupted with a loud, ha, and interrupts his sermon. And I'm astounded as a person who speaks on a regular basis in a similar type setting of how Jesus responded to that situation. Because this is not how I would respond to the situation. Let me just be honest with you. You interrupt me on a Sunday morning in church while I'm preaching. Inwardly, I will be so angry at you. Outwardly, I will be kind for a moment. And I would say, can I help you? Everything okay? And if you proceed, wall is going up, and I'm looking at our security team. Let's kindly, if you want to, you don't have to, you don't have to be kind about it. Let's get this person out of here. That's how I would respond. I'm sorry. Just how I would respond. Try me. I'm just kidding. I'm just, like, please, please don't try me. I really don't want to deal with that, okay? I really don't want to mess with that. That's not how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't seem in any way, shape, or form to be inconvenienced. He doesn't mind the interruption. He doesn't seem to be irritated. He says to the demon, shut up and get out. And he continues. And then immediately after that, same day, he, he walks out of the synagogue. He walks out of church, basically. In verse 38, he, he goes to the house of Simon. And the picture of this is that basically he's, he's going to relax there. And so this family's having him over for lunch. And uh, I, I, what I do understand about Jesus, he taught all morning. And, and when you talk for a long time and you encounter certainly a situation as dramatic as a demon being in, uh, in, uh, in church that morning. Um, he, he's probably pretty exhausted, pretty tired, um, hungry. And uh, I mean, to be honest with you, like, I, I get it. Because as soon as I walk out of this place, I get in my truck, I crash. 
Like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Um, text messages, phone calls, I don't answer them. I spend the rest of the afternoon with my family really quietly, and I really enjoy it that way and stuff like that. And I think Jesus might have been that way too. Like, I'm ready for the church issues and church problems to just stop for just a moment. I'm just, just being honest about how I feel sometimes. I know a lot of guys that were exhausted after Sunday morning. So Jesus was probably pretty tired. And he walks into the home of Simon to eat lunch. He's hungry. And hey, Jesus, um, hey, Simon's mom is sick. You think you could, you think you could uh, put your ministry cap back on and help her out real quick? And without hesitation, he goes and he rebukes the fever. And then on top of that, so she gets up and serves, so he does get his meal. But then we read in verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, every one of them, every one of them, and healed them. I don't know how many of them there were, but every one of them got the ministry. Every one of them was able to take their problem to Jesus, and Jesus dealt with it and healed it. And it tells us elsewhere in chapter 5, verse 15, that the crowds came, and the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. Jesus had an open-door policy. You see, it wasn't just for the stage. Jesus, I'll step on this soapbox for just a moment, all right? Jesus wasn't like many of the faith healers that you see today who put on a massive conference and bring together a bunch of people and bring a healing forward, act that healing for everyone to see and then leave the show. Now, certainly there was a lot of attention to many of Jesus' healings. Lots of people watching. Lots of people seeing. But what you find is that as soon as the lights went down and the crowd went away, he kept doing it. Here's the soapbox. How many of those faith healers, as soon as the show is over, things are done, you'll find them the next day walking the hallways of a hospital? Jesus is just who he was. It wasn't for show. It was real. He had an open door policy. He was always interruptible. He was always available. And if it took him all night to meet your problem and meet your need, he would do it. And we see this the entire way through. And we see the crowds growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus' compassion and heart for them growing bigger as well. He never pulled off of that. And because he was interruptible, people came. Because you see, he made himself available and immediately more people came. You see, that's what happens. When you make yourself available, people come to you. You and I know people, and you may be a person like this. You and I know people that do not have an open door policy. 
or they're not approachable. You know someone like that? Like you, like you, you can't just walk in. You, you, you got to make an appointment, um, and you know that when you make that appointment, it's not really wanted. So when you deal with a person like that, some, some of us may work for people like that, or some of us may have someone in our life like that where they're just really not approachable. They, and you can tell that they just really don't want us to be around, and it seems like an inconvenience, like you have to really plan ahead. That's one of the reasons why I don't go to the doctor, because I got to make an appointment like months in advance. Apparently, he doesn't want to see me. Like, I can't just walk in. Hey, hey, can I get some help? Is the doctor here? No, you can't do that. You know, when, when people aren't available and people aren't approachable and people do not have an open door policy, you know what we start doing with those people? We stop going to those people. We stop talking to those people. We don't, we don't take our business to them because we know they don't really want their business. As followers of Jesus... Do we have the same open door policy with people? Because unless people know that you care, then you'll never get the opportunity to care for them. Are you bothered by people's problems and people's messes? Do you welcome them? You care for them. And are you known for that? Because Jesus was known for that. And as Jesus was known for that, more and more people came. Which, by the way, First Baptist Charlotte, we do have a desire to reach our city and reach this world. And I think Jesus shows us a great strategy. If we say we really want to reach them, if we say we really care about lost people, then we need to care for lost people. And then we'll have the opportunity to introduce the lost people to the person they need most. Are we attentive? Are we open to the needs of this, this, this city, this, this, this culture, this, this country, this world is full of problems? Are we open to them? Are we wanting to do something? Because what we find in Jesus' ministry is that the problems were a platform for his glory. Because he was willing to step into things that no one else would. And he stepped into them because no one else could do what he did. And I think just like Jesus, if we as a church will simply start meeting people's needs. We will watch more people come. Because we meet their needs. Pick a need. Your life. Let's meet it. This is who he was. It was not just for the show. And the last thing I want you to notice in this story really hones in on, on, uh, on the story of the leper. But I want you to see how, how Jesus messed with the messes. Like how he, how he handled the problems. How he messed with the messes. I mean, this, this story, these three stories that we looked at, just these couple of chapters are just a snapshot but they're a great snapshot of the greater ministry of Jesus. Like, it looked like this every day. Every day there were people. 
There were other demon-possessed people. There were other sick people. There were other issues and illnesses. There were many crowds. And in this snapshot, we kind of see it all. We see demons, and we see a fever. We see illnesses. We see more demons. We see leprosy. I mean, and we see, we see needs and issues that are like all over the map. Like you have the spiritual need of a person. You have, you have demonic oppression. You have, you have the unseen. You, you have a person dealing with a spiritual battle and a war that you can't really describe and you can't really understand, you can't really see. And you see Jesus dealing with that. And then you see a woman um, who has a fever. That's not really that big of a deal. I mean, was it COVID? Maybe she was the first COVID case. She had a fever. We've all gotten fevers. And yet Jesus took care of it. And then you see like a specific diagnosis. Leprosy. A known illness. Visible. Incurable in that day. You have all over the map, you have spiritual issues and spiritual problems and spiritual messages. You have kind of like generic, general messes and problems. You, you have specific, nameable messes and problems. And you have people from all different shapes and sizes. You have a man who's demonically oppressed, who probably would have been seen as quite crazy. You have a woman who's certainly a servant and a mother-in-law, sweet woman. And then you have a man. What we see here is this, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Jesus wants it. Jesus deals with it. He's not afraid to walk into it. And when you think about it, we live in such a broken world. And you and I in that broken world have a brokenness. So you need to understand something. There is not a person in this world that doesn't have a mess. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a mess going on right now in their life in some fashion. It may be spiritual. It may be somewhat more generic and common. Or it may be nameable and specific. I mean, in this very room, we have people who, who are struggling inwardly. And, and, and it very well could be struggling spiritually in some ways. That's hard to see and hard to put the thumb on about what's going on in their life. And then we have some people that deal with things that everyone else deals with. You, you've had COVID or, 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 or you're struggling with your job or, or you're dealing with debt a little bit or, or you're struggling with relationships here and there or, 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 or different things like that. And then at the same time, we have other people in here with very serious di diagnosis. Grief because they've lost someone they love very closely. Cancer, divorce, broken relationship, just lost job. It goes on and on and on. And Jesus deals with every one of them. Everyone has a mess. And he is something for everyone. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor, 
whether you are white or whether you are black, whether you are young, whether you are old, it does not matter what the world thinks of you. You have a mess. And Jesus cares. And he cares because he cares a whole lot more about your mess that you realize and the deeper mess that he came to save you from, sin. But notice this. Verse 12, one of the cities was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. Now there's a lot that could be said about this story. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We could talk about the man and leprosy. What was leprosy and the skin disease of leprosy? And was it really leprosy that it had? We could talk about what it meant for him to have leprosy. It meant that he was an outcast in society. It was a mysterious illness in those days. A lot more known about it today. But it was an illness that would basically put you on the outskirts. It was thought to be very contagious. And so you would be pushed outside of the town or outside of the village. And so sometimes there were leper communities and leper villages. And likely this man had to quarantine and live in isolation because of his leprosy. The other thing was the spiritual side is that people saw leprosy as something inward that was going on. That was expressing itself outward. So there was an inward judgment that God was having on a person's soul. And that would show itself in the form of leprosy on the outside. Basically they had leprosy because they weren't right with God. So they were, they were judged immediately by the world of like, you got to get right with God. You got that as a punishment. And it made you ceremonial and killing. This guy couldn't worship. That's why a little bit Jesus says, go, go, go to the temple or go, to the, go meet with the priest and, and get yourself cleaned up um, and so that you can worship again because it severed his worship. There's all sorts of things that could be said about it. We could talk about how the man, um, you know, said to him, if you will. There was a sense of humility. He wasn't a demand. Humility, he, he understands you can make me clean. I know you can do it. But what I want you to notice, verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. It was actually the same thing that he had done in verse 40. Chapter 4, with all those of various diseases, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Which would have made Jesus susceptible to receiving leprosy. Which would have possibly made him seen as a carrier of leprosy. And would have temporarily made him unclean. But it was personal with Jesus. Problems, messes, were not something that he dealt with from afar or in a program. It was personal. And so is yours. So is your problem. It's personal to him. No matter how big or how small it is, it matters to Jesus. He wants to fix it. He wants to walk with you through it. 
He wants to heal it. He wants to help it. He wants it to be used as a platform for his glory and for his gospel. Why haven't you brought it to him? Why haven't you you come to him and said, Jesus, here's my mess. Here's my shame. Here's my guilt. Here's my sin. Here's my problem. Here's my concern. Help. I know you can. And if you will, help. Because what you think might happen and what this man thought might happen You're going to be surprised when you bring your problem to Jesus how it feels when he touches you. See, Jesus messed with messes personally. He was in the business of problems. And and here's what I want you to understand, church, with this is that because Jesus was in the business of problems, so should his people be. Our business is to be his business, and his business is a business of problems. And so we should make it our business to be in the business of problems. Does that make sense? People matter, and the problems of people matter, and we ought to care. Why? Because Jesus does. We need to stop looking at them as an inconvenience and an interruption. You know, my question for you personally, in your own life, is why aren't you messing with problems? Why aren't you messing with problems? Why aren't you involved in the problems of those around you and in this world. Why haven't you done anything about it? And the question I have for our churches is that what are the problems in our community that we need to mess with, that nobody else is messing with? What are the problems in our community? Like, there are problems all over this community. Big problems, serious problems. And there are a lot of people that are out there problem solving, but that doesn't mean all the problems are handled. We need to find problems and mess with them. Try, in Jesus' name. Fix them. We are a Jesus church. You know, my last question to you is this, and it's real simple. Is if Jesus is in the business of problems, why aren't you bringing yours to him? For some of you, why haven't you brought your biggest problem, your sin, and your broken life to him. And let him save you by his cross 
and heal you of your sin. Why haven't you brought him that? What other expert do you think is going to help you figure that out? And then what other problems are you facing? Why haven't you brought them to Jesus? I know many of you in this room are doing that, and and that's great, but but our problems go deep, and we ought to be going to him first. Man, you know, it would save a whole lot more problems if we would take our problems to Jesus first and let the problem fixer and the authority on life help us see clearly about what we need to do next. Bring your problems to him. It's his business. And he's the best at it. And because he's in the business of problems, so should we. Let's pray. Lord, not a person in this room is living a life without issues without inward striving and turmoil and difficulty and guilt and sin. Not a a single one of us in this room is perfect. Doesn't have problems. We need you. Help us to see that need and to come to you. Lord, would you make us as a church and would you make us as to followers of you as people who are willing to step into the messes, to to serve and to help, to put our hands upon the problems of people who may not have the answers, but we do know the one that does. Help us to be the business of problems. I pray that you'd fill this room with more problems, with more people with problems. Because ultimately that's what you came to do, to fix the problem. And as you do, many other problems are fixed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.